Our reading this evening is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Did I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text for this evening is the first 11 verses of chapter 1, especially these two sets of phrases. Paul says that we have been comforted so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. 
And then as he describes the burden that he bore in Asia, he says, this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. But before we get there, it's important, I think, to have some context for what's going on in 2 Corinthians. There's a lot of discussion, a lot of debate about how this letter relates to the other things we know from the Bible about Paul's activity in Corinth. Some of it's kind of uncertain, but here is a rough sketch of what seems to have happened. In Acts chapter 18, Paul arrived in Corinth and planted a church there, just as he did throughout the whole region. He would stop at a place, and he'd go to the synagogue, and he'd visit with the Jews, and then the word would spread, and he'd minister to the Gentiles, and a church would form. And he spent a year and a half in Corinth. That was a long time for Paul. He didn't spend that long in that many places. He spent a long time in Ephesus, several years in fact, but here he spends a year and a half in Corinth. And then he goes away because his mission work carries on. He has to go and plant the gospel in other places. He leaves Corinth. But one one thing you can imagine about Paul is how that would trouble him. How hard it would be to leave after a year and a half of preaching to these people, to leave them behind and go off to preach to other people and wonder what had happened to these new Christians, these baby Christians. Would other teachers come in and teach them false doctrine? Would they be led astray by the desires of their flesh? Would they give up all hope altogether when persecution or trouble came upon them? Paul wondered, and he was troubled, and he prayed fervently for all of the churches that he planted. And he wrote to them. He wrote letters. This is the corpus of much of the New Testament, Paul's letters to the churches that he planted. And he wrote several letters to the church in Corinth, at least some of which we do not have. So it seems that when Paul was in Ephesus, starting the church in Ephesus, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, one that we don't possess, but a letter with some instructions, especially about things like mixing together with the world or avoiding mixing together with the world. And while Paul was in Ephesus, after he'd sent that letter, he got some visitors from Corinth who came to him to deliver some gifts for the work that he was doing there and in the rest of the world, and also with some questions. So we hear in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we hear that he had some visitors from Chloe, Chloe's people, who came And they seem to ask questions. They seem to have misunderstood some of the things he wrote in his first letter. And so Paul sets out in 1 Corinthians to correct some of those confusions and also to address some of the problems that Chloe revealed. It turned out that after Paul left and Apollos was preaching in his place, it turned out that the people started to form factions and divisions and to think that some were better than others. They were divided, and it was contrary to the gospel. So Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians. That's what we read, I think it was last fall. We did 1 Corinthians, going through all of the troubles that Paul was addressing that were revealed to him from Chloe's people. We send that letter to them and expresses in 1 Corinthians that he's going to make a long visit. He'd like to go back to Corinth and spend a long time there. But something seems to have happened that prompted Paul to show up in an emergency visit. He had to go suddenly and not for the long visit that he was planning. And in that emergency visit, something blew up. There was some sort of a conflict. Somebody opposed him. Somebody was rebelling against his authority. Somebody was questioning whether or not he was actually an apostle. And he left on very painful terms. It was a disaster. He was heartbroken when he left Corinth 
on his second visit, that emergency visit. And while he was away, sort of pondering these things and praying for the church in Corinth, he sent them another letter. He describes it as a tearful letter. He sends a letter by the hand of Titus. And Titus goes and discovers that the people were ready, ready to receive Paul's words. And so Titus comes back to Paul with great joy, saying they've, they've turned around. There was this disaster. There was this conflict. There were people who were despising you, but it's been dealt with. The people are once again trying to be the church of God. Titus comes back and reports that to Paul. And so he sets out to write 2 Corinthians. That's what we find in front of us today. Probably the fourth letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. A letter that apparently they treasured because we still have it here with us today. A letter that begins with a benediction. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who, did you notice which word was repeated so many times in this lesson? Who comforts us? Ten times we hear that word, comfort, in some form or another. Ten times in those first seven verses, Paul talks about comfort that he's been comforted with and the comfort that he wants to share with others and how this comfort is the point of everything that they do. And this is, in fact, why we are afflicted, Paul says. We suffer so that we might be comforted and can then comfort others who suffer. Paul's trying to teach the Corinthians to understand all of the trouble that they've endured and the trouble that they see in Paul's life. Trying to teach them to understand it in terms of the gospel, in terms of the cross of Jesus. After all, it was the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who sent Paul to them with this message, that Christ had died to forgive their sins. But in spite of the forgiveness of sins that we receive through the cross of Christ, trusting in Jesus, we still live in the flesh. And so there's work to be done yet in our lives. And that's where affliction comes in. Paul tells the Corinthians that affliction serves a purpose. It uncovers their need. Our flesh is crafty. It's, cra it's been trained by the devil, our flesh has been. And so it is crafty and it needs to be put to death. And that's what affliction does to us. It uncovers our need in two ways. In the first place, most simply, affliction uncovers our need for provision. This is why we fast, to remind ourselves that without bread, we'll go hungry. Without food, we'll starve. And without sustenance, we will die. Affliction serves that purpose as well, to remind us that everything we have comes from God, and unless God provides for us, we have nothing at all. Affliction teaches us our need. But not just for material things, not just the stuff of this life, it also teaches us, most importantly, our need for repentance. For any time our hearts are set on something and that something is withheld from us, Anytime we suffer and grieve the loss of a thing, we are always battling against our flesh, which wants to hold on to things and to have them on our own terms and to hold them too highly, to idolize them, to treat them as if they were better than the one who gave them to us. And so affliction teaches us our need to repent. It teaches us that where our treasure is, our hearts will be also and unless our hearts are set on God, they will only ever be disappointed. When our hearts are set on anything less, we will be put to shame. 
But if our hearts are set on God, if we repent and turn to him in faith, trusting in him for forgiveness, life, and salvation, we will never be put to shame. The pain of affliction. The pain of affliction is the pain of faithlessness melting away. And that is what makes it good. Affliction reveals your need. It reveals your need so that you are driven to Christ for comfort. After all, it is only Christ who can comfort. Every other comfort in this world is false and fleeting, but Christ has come to give you true and unending comfort. Now, it's important to note, especially in what Paul's talking about here, that the comfort he's describing, the comfort that Christians hold on to, is not a comfort that deals in the removal of an affliction. That's what our hearts crave. If only this affliction were taken away, then I would be comforted. But Paul's talking about a different kind of comfort. Notice what he says. It's a comfort that comes from the God who raises the dead. That is to say, it's comfort that comes from the fact that God loves you and has promised to deliver you from death. And so you can endure now any affliction, any trial, with patience, suffering patiently, suffering as with Christ, patiently knowing that the God who raises the dead is the one who has given you every affliction. And so he will also bring you out of it. That is the comfort. Comfort that even precedes the end of affliction. You don't have to see the end of it in order to be comforted. You can be comforted now knowing that it's at God's hand and his hands are good and gracious. Either he is for you or against you. And in Christ Jesus you can see his deep love for you. This is what Paul is talking about when he tells this kind of this obscure story about what happened in Asia. We don't know the details of it. But Paul says we were burdened tremendously, beyond anything we could bear. We don't know what that means. But he says we had, we had despaired of life altogether. We thought that we had received the sentence of death. Maybe it was a literal sentence of death. But how does Paul describe the usefulness of that experience? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. Now I think, can't say for sure, but I think, that when Paul says that God delivered him from a deadly peril, he doesn't mean from this burden that he's been feeling or this sentence of death. God has delivered him from the deadly peril of trusting in himself and instead has taught him to trust in God alone. God does that through affliction and through the comfort that comes from Jesus. Paul's also emphasizing tonight that the comfort is not something that just happens inside of you. It's not just for you alone. But when Paul is comforted, he says it is for the sake of others. He's comforted so that he can then turn around and comfort others. The gospel never remains alone. Faith never remains alone. It is living and active, and it spreads. So here's how it goes. First, Jesus comforts us in our affliction by showing us how we are sharing in his suffering. And if we share in his suffering, then we will share in his glory. And with that good news, that glorious news in mind, you can turn to anyone who is suffering. And you can say, no, I can't take away your suffering. And yes, I know how severe it is, but Christ has come to rescue you. Christ has come to rescue you. And watch, see, learn from my example how you endure patiently with hope. How you are comforted not by the things of this world, but by the gospel of Jesus. That's a gift that God gives to the church. St. Peter talks about how important it is 
that you be prepared to give a reason to those who ask you for why you are so hopeful. How is it that you can endure suffering patiently? How is it that you can find comfort in the face of affliction? You are bright, shining lights in this world. The world knows no comfort in the face of affliction. The world knows only comforts that are fleeting and false and that disappoint. But you know a comfort that is eternal. Christ has died for you. And so, buried with him, you will rise again. He has put to death in your mortal bodies all sin and suffering and sorrow and grief. It is coming to an end in Christ. And so, you have something precious to share with the world. This is something I think we can always work on, something we can always improve and think about how glorious it would be if the church were known as a place where people suffer patiently. If the church were known as a building in which people sat comforted, not just with earthly comforts, not just with the pleasantness of being around one another, but with true comfort that comes from God. What glory it would be if the world saw in the church something completely different from what it sees all around it. That's what Paul wants to give to the Corinthians. That's what he wants to give to you and to me. And we can help ourselves by prayer. That we may be blessed in the same way that Paul prays the Corinthians will be blessed with this true comfort. It's God's gift to us in Christ Jesus, a gift that will last forever. Be busy with these things. Note well how earnestly Paul prays for this for the Corinthians. Ten times he says the word comfort. That is what it is all about, and you have it in spades through Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.